0: This morning, the reading does not come from the Gospels, but I'm going to ask you anyway to revere and respect the Word of God by standing in place. It's one way that you can say this morning that I'm standing at attention at God's Word. I'm hearing what He's saying. I'm responding to God's Word even before it's preached. Pastor Paul has a great message today, but it's Not one that will just bring comfort. Uh, It might make us uncomfortable. How many of you have ever prayed, God, make me uncomfortable? (laughs) The Word of God will do that sometimes only to help us and to heal us. The Word of God from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit. For the people of God thanks be to God amen
1: good morning loved ones do have a seat and before we move into this morning's teaching let me make the following comment Uh, you received an order of worship you may have received an order of worship when you entered the sanctuary this morning there's a QR code in the bottom left corner and that qr code gives you an act gives you access to a spiritual gifts assessment test the reason i mention this is because next week as we're journeying in this series on the person of the holy spirit we will be talking about the gifts of the holy spirit he has gifts to give the body and it's an imperative that As many as possible understand what gifts God has placed in your life it will take you about five minutes I'd appreciate if you'd not do that right now but if you would do that sometime this afternoon or this week in preparation for next Sunday now today we're going to talk about the character of Jesus the character of Jesus that's available to you in you through the fruit of the Holy Spirit now at the close of an important speech to Congress on June excuse me January 6, 1941, Theodore Roosevelt outlined his hopes for the United States and the world after World War II. And when he did that, he shared that he had four hopes and they were centered around freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Now, To some degree, all of these freedoms have been achieved in some way, maybe even expanded on a wider scale in our nation and even among many nations since 1941. But our world, and particularly Christians, need a freedom of a different form. We need to be free from ourselves and the tyranny of our fallen nature, the tyranny of sin. And that's why Paul, when he's writing about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, he writes these words. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so we're aware this statement, it stirs many questions, one of which is what exactly are the desires of the flesh? Well, the desires of the flesh are our old nature, who those things that... Uh, Lord, we lived in and maybe even lived for in our old nature, your flesh. Greek word sarks, for some of those who are scholarly among us. It's, it's your flesh, your fallen nature. And then the Apostle Paul answers this question with greater specificity in verses 19 and 20 when he says the works of the flesh are evident and he begins to outline these. Now what we're going to do for a few minutes is we're going to define these terms because in the original language it's important that we're clear on the meaning. And some of this, as Chris has noted, may even be uncomfortable for some of us, but let's be mindful that the Scripture, one thing that we can say about the Scripture is the Scripture doesn't sugarcoat. It's very very clear. And so... Uh, would submit to you the following i'm not going to give you the greek terms i'm just going to give definitions that paul begins that the works of the flesh are evident and he says sexual immorality and literally in the original language this greek term means sexual intercourse between unmarried couples then he goes on to talk about our our sight impurity And impurity in this context and in the original language means an unnatural sexual practices and unnatural sexual relationships. And then third, sensuality, which is a descriptive term for an uncontrolled expression of sexuality. And then he shares idolatry and sorcery. And Paul, of course, is referring to the occult and pagan practices, re- pagan religious practices that were very prevalent in Roman culture. But it's easy for us to read that today and assume that, that just were, those were just issues back then. But I would lovingly submit to you that you could walk into most bookstores in North America and it would not take you long to discover the occult section, or the Wicca section, or the New Age spirituality section. And I don't like admitting this, uh, but before I came to Christ, our family owned $700 worth of leather-bound Edgar Cayce readings. He was a medium. And yet we sat on the third row of First Methodist Church every Sunday. And all I'm saying to you is that this is still relevant. Idolatry and sorcery. One provides a substitute for God and the other one fakes the work of the Holy Spirit because in those expressions, there are... uh, nuances and real expressions of forms of spirituality in those areas. And I don't want to exalt that, but I want to validate that that's true. But then Paul writes about some destructive attitudes that also can uh, permeate a life. He talks about enmity, which to define that, that's a reference to competitiveness with self-seeking motives. The context is not like healthy comp- competition in a basketball game or, or you playing a pickup game of some sort. That's not the context. The context is when we have self-seeking motives that may be in our company our corporation or in our department or even uh, on some type of staff where we try with passive aggression or in some way to subjugate another individual because we're competitive and we've created enmity. Paul goes on to write envy, being coveting or desiring what others have jealousy the zeal and energy that comes from a hungry ego or as some of your bibles translate it outbursts of anger that are just uncontrolled just going off on people fits of anger hostility and adversarial attitude which also results in the following attitudes rivalries being argumentative or seeking to pit or or shall we say pick fights that comes forth out of those fits of rage or outbursts of anger dissensions which is creating divisions between people and then you see the greek are in the original language it's translated division now references where a person not only is being divisive, but the person is rallying other people to align with them to create parties or warring groups or factions that are against one another. And then finally, Paul uses two words to refer to substance abuse, drunkenness, drinking to the point of inebriation. And then he uses the word orgies. And a lot of us, when we hear that term, We think of sexuality and it's related to that, but scholars tell us that not only in the Greek, but also in the semantic in which it's being used, majority of them agree that this is a reference to drinking orgies, meaning people coming together, drinking to the point of inebriation, their guard being lowered, and then making compromising decisions that lead to debauchery. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Years ago, I remember teaching on this passage and there was a young man, I think he was probably in his early 30s, married, had two or three kids. He was battling alcoholism not come to grips the fact that he had a problem. His wife knew he had a problem. Several other people knew he had a problem. And he heard this passage. And that day, that day, he didn't waste time. That day, he reached out for help. Now, I do want to clarify that in the words of Tim Keller, the following, listen closely, Keller writes, that in this context Paul is referring to habitual practice rather than infrequent and repented of lapses. For someone to continually indulge in the sinful nature without battling against it is to show that the Son has not redeemed them and that the Spirit has not renewed them. Paul is not looking to undermine Christian assurance here but he is aiming to banish complacency. Another way of putting it is that the Apostle Paul is not talking about a specific act of sin, but a habit of sin. And so he goes on to write, this in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so what we begin noticing in the text, I know you see it, that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another. The flesh and the Holy Spirit are in conflict. The flesh and the spirit are diametrically opposed forces operating within the life of a believer and between the holy spirit and your flesh they have different goals and they set their heart on different things Uh, many of you probably heard this story but years ago uh, a young man who had been a christian for about 24 months and he came to his pastor and said pastor i i need some help he said what's wrong son he said since I've become a follower of Jesus, since I've become a Christian, there's a struggle going on inside of me. He said, well, tell me more about that. And the young man said, pastor, it's like two teams of horses are in me and and one pulling me to do the right thing and one pulling at me to do the wrong thing. And the pastor said, well, tell me, son, which team wins? And the young man said, well, it's whichever team I feed. There's merit to that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is driving at here. And that's why he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Feed the spiritual horses. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, we're all aware, this is commonsensical and I'm mindful of that. Walking implies direction. Setting your heart, your mind, in a direction. This is an invitation to join in God's direction. Walking also implies a cadence or a rhythm if you will and the Holy Spirit the person of the Holy Spirit has a cadence he has a rhythm to quote dr. Ricky Moore the theologian he once said the Holy Spirit dances on the keys of Scripture and so we recognize that, that if is we're going to feed the new person the new life we're going to walk in the Spirit then it requires feeding the new person the person who has been made new in Christ now Months ago, back during the Psalm 23 series, and as I've lovingly said to you on many occasions now, I don't expect you to remember everything that I share. I get that. Even though I've been doing this for decades, I still remember what it was like to sit in a pew and listen to a pastor. I didn't remember everything my pastor said, so I'm not trying to set the bar low. I'm just trying to keep it real but I shared with you a way, a pathway of abiding in Christ. I shared with you a pathway of drinking from the Spirit. I talked about this yesterday in the yesterday's prayer summit. I talked about turning the three valves. Now, I'm not going to review that right now, but one of the things that I said months ago to our congregation is that this isn't In turning the three vows this is not the only way to abide in Christ this is not the only way to drink of the Holy Spirit this is not the only pathway uh, shall we say of walking in the Spirit that there are also other ways that are illustrated on the pages of Scripture and what I want to do for a few minutes is review with you what we call the Wesleyan means of grace The Wesleyan means of grace. These were patterns that John Wesley advocated for Methodist Christians to appropriate to drink of living water, to walk in the spirit, to experience the abounding, empowering grace of God operating in the heart of a believer. And he broke these down into two segments, what we would call works of piety and works of mercy. But let me be very clear. Your salvation is not by works. Can somebody say amen? Your salvation is by faith and through by, by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the one who saves. We are not saved by works. Ephesians 2 states that in black and white. But... Wesley described these pathways of appropriating the movement of empowering grace and so under works of piety he cited what we we would call individual practices and that is reading meditating studying the scriptures taking time to read the Word of God and as I've said many times not merely for information but for formation that I may apply the word of God into my circumstances. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And so, some means of grace, of empowerment. Wesley listed prayer, he listed fasting. Wesley used to fast on wednesday and friday and he taught his pastors to do the same thing early in his ministry that was his pattern later in his ministry he fasted one day a week but regardless it was a part of his journey with christ i put some information helpful information in a recent word from pastor paul it might have been several months ago of good resources on understanding fasting and so regularly attending worship listen can i come over here and talk to you for a minute There's a stu- there's studies out at this hour that state that a lot of North Americans consider themselves active in a church family attending worship somewhere between one and five or one out of every six Sundays. And I lovingly submit to you that that is a tragedy. You can't not only... Is God worthy of our magnification? He's worthy. We, we, don't come, we don't come here to consume. We come here to magnify. That's what worship is. We're, we're coming to make much of the king, of the Lord. Worship is not characterized by how I'm satisfied. Worship is characterized by how God is glorified if, if it 's characterized by how i 'm satisfied, maybe we should start offering free oil changes while we come in here to worship the king together but it 's not characterized by those things it 's characterized by making much of him, and in making much of him, we experience the movement of his empowering grace in our lives as a part of the rhythm of what we are designed for and Wesley talked about healthy living. Wesley was a man before his time. He talked about being conscious of what you eat, what you put in your body, of regular exercise for the glory of God, and sharing our faith with both re- or, excuse me lo- locally and globally, with unreached people, works of piety. But he said this was not only real on an individual level as means of grace, but also on a communal level, regularly sharing in the sacraments, as we'll partake of the Lord's Supper here in a moment, Christian conferencing, coming together as believers, and encouraging one another, sharing in mutual accountability, disciple based Bible study listen loved ones your relationship with Jesus is meant to be personal but it was never meant to be private Jesus said excuse me not Jesus John Wesley there's a difference John Wesley once said there's no holiness, but social holiness. Some people have hijacked that in a way that they think Wesley was talking about social justice. He did have words about social justice. We'll get to that in a moment. But when he referred to no holiness apart from social holiness, what he was referring to is that Christianity is not only something we practice vertically, but we also practice horizontally and coming together and knowing one another well enough where we hold one another lovingly, mutually accountable, again, in a spirit of love, so that we all propel one another on to good works, spurring one another on in the faith. And then Wesley talked about works of mercy, individual practice, doing good works, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding the hungry, and giving generously to the needs of other others. Yesterday at the prayer summit, I had the honor, and I don't have permission to share a name, of sitting next to an 11-year-old boy and his mom. And one of the things that this young man shared that was full of such wisdom was this. He said this, when I give to others, I feel good inside. I was like, man, that's powerful. Because he was exhibiting the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. You experience a greater blessing when you give of yourself for others, perhaps more than the person who's receiving your act of giving. Jesus says there's a greater blessing that abounds towards you. And Wesley is affirming this is a part of how we drink of the grace of God. We drink of living water. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he talked about communal practices. And that is seeking justice and ending oppression. And as followers of Jesus, our hearts cannot be indifferent when on our watch there's 25% of our population that can't read. And as we noted recently, 54% of our population that cannot read beyond a sixth grade level. We as followers of Jesus are not indifferent to these realities. We are not indifferent when there are human beings being sold around the world. And here on our watch, not only around the world, but right here in our city. We are not indifferent to these things or discrimination. I would remind you that in John Wesley's day, there were many people in offices of pastoral ministry that enabled slavery. But not John Wesley. John Wesley gave voice that this was an injustice, that all human beings are created in the image of God. And our brother and our forefather gave voice to the sin of that reality. And all we're affirming when we share these things is that these are a part of the communal practices, of the means of grace, of God, of our not only participating in the life and mission of God, but drinking of the life of God, drinking of living water, drinking and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul writes here is that our fallen nature, our sin nature, your sin nature, my sin nature will work Verse 17, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Because all of us in Christ, we want to live into the new person that we are. And so he says in verse 18, but if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Do you know why he said that? He said that because the Galatians had drifted from being rooted in the gospel of Christ. They had drifted from the free gift that God has offered them in Christ and they had slowly, subtly moved back into a works righteousness. There were a group of people called the Judaizers that had Put them back into the framework of law. And what Paul reminding, re, reminds them of in this book and in this specific passage is that not to go back into the law. Don't go back into performance. Live out of the root system of the gift of the gospel. That God in Christ has bore your sins, that through his death, burial, and resurrection live out of the root system of that life-giving reality, that you are not under condemnation. You have been liberated through the grace and mercy and power of the living God manifested in his son Jesus when he went to the cross and took your sin and rose again. Glory to God. I'm preaching to me this morning as well. I just sense you know i can't say i'm sense his presence here loved ones we're we are loved ones we are in the presence of god excuse me but not only is your salvation a gift but the holy spirit is a gift and we don't earn it we don't earn the gospel we don't earn the holy spirit so we recognize that's our root system Now, the reason it's important to recognize our root system, because it's healthy fruit, excuse me, roots that yield good fruit. Look with me at verses 22 through 23. Paul says this, now, out of that root system, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, all the other fruit emanates out of that, out of the reality of love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that's dependability, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Gentleness is gentleness and meekness, power under control. Jesus was the most powerful person that's ever walked this planet, yet he exhibited meekness, not weakness, meekness, in that it was power and authority under control. And what's important for all of us to see that while all of this life of love and joy and peace is offered up to us, there is no fruit without roots. There's no fruit without roots. And what we're seeing in the text is that these virtues emanate from the vine of Jesus. It's virtue by the vine. Bearing fruit is a work of God's grace. And Galatians teaches us that bearing fruit doesn't come from trying harder or doing more. No, we bear fruit from the source. Don't try to be your own source. That will set you free. It's not by trying harder, it's by rooting your heart and life in the truth of the gospel, what God has done for you in Christ, drinking of the Spirit. Now, you really can live like this. I, I know how the enemy of our soul does end arounds. You really can live like this. Now I'm going to share a C.S. Lewis quote and that that probably doesn't surprise you but I'm going to share a C.S. Lewis quote that I shared months ago because it's just so relevant. I can't put the brakes on. I chose not to. Here it is. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Oh God, let it not be so with us. And then Paul, weds the very theme that we've seen a couple of times already in this series regarding the spirit-filled life. He also weds the theme of being filled with the spirit with being crucified with Christ. He says this in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And that, as I've noted, means that I would choose for God, I would choose his purposes over my preferences. Years ago, I had the honor of hosting the billy graham of china at our church in birmingham his name is ina Kwong. i told you a little bit about him when i shared from the middle of the platform here about his imprisonment and then i actually got on the floor and illustrated how he was put in a box uh, to made to suffer persecuted by his captors in china ina Kwong is been an instrument of God in leading millions of people to Jesus and training thousands of pastors in the midst of persecution and propagating, sharing the love of God through the gospel. When he got out of prison and eventually got out of China, I had the opportunity to sit with him and so i wanted to invite others and so i invited before he was speaking and addressing our church family i invited churches excuse me pastors and from churches around birmingham to sit with him some from outside of birmingham in the southeast and i only had room for about a dozen and so we, we gathered, and there were a lot of very influential pastors. If I said some of the names, you would know some of those. I don't want to name drop, but I, I just thinking, oh, this is the Billy Graham of China. I want to gather people that would help propagate the kind of influence that this man has had among millions of people. And so we sit in this boardroom and have, share a meal together, and then we've all eaten, and now it's time to ask Reverend Wong, these questions, and I, I have my notepad out. I'm ready to take notes and learn from this great leader, and these other sisters and brothers in the room, they have their notepads out. We're ready to learn, and, I, and I'm, I'm sitting, pen ready, got my laptop, and I'm like, oh, give me the 10 keys to what you've been doing in China. Oh, show me the formulaic process of how you do this in China, this amazing work, and so so I get to ask the first question. I've got my pen ready and I look at his translator and I say, Please, could Dr. Reverend Wong, would you share with us how, how you would speak into the American church for making disciples? Just, so I, just, would you share that with us? And his translator translated the question and he gave a very short answer. And she turns to me in front of all my peers and here was his answer. How do you make disciples? And his answer was this, die to self. I put my pen down and then I put my head down and I repented. Because as I listened to this man of God share about being imprisoned and God deepening his heart and root system in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit and how I have a seminary education. His seminary education was the prison and how he shares that as the love of God, the fruit of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit would deepen in his own heart and life that there were prisoners that came to Christ, prison guards that came to know Jesus Christ. I recognize, oh God, give me the grace to live for you, not for me. That's why Paul writes there in verse 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited thinking that, Paul, your Western formulas are going to pull this off. Tech team, would you mind putting that picture up? This is a baptism service on Sand Mountain in Alabama. My stepfather's in that picture. His name was Jake, and he loved my brother and I very deeply, and we loved him. He made an incredible impact on our lives. But he's a teenager in that picture. And the reason I'm showing it to you is that he started out with a heart for Christ. I have this picture hanging in my office but not simply because my stepfather's in it. I have this picture hanging in my office because it reminds me of something. You see, my stepfather was not a very godly man. He started out here but two degrees at a time he drifted far, far from God. He fought in World War II And there were many nights, and this is, understand that we understand the World War II generation didn't have a lot of the advantages that we have in understanding PTSD. But there was many a night in my childhood where I would be laying in bed and suddenly in the middle of the night, I would hear the most blood-curdling screams. When you hear a grown man at the top of his lungs in fear since chills down your spine and that happened repeatedly through the years when he was older i also watched him come home to christ it's powerful it's one of the reasons as a pastor i'd I just can't give up on anybody. I'm, I'm messed up in a good way, I guess, because I, I can't deny what I've seen God do. But here's what I want you to know. As I watch my stepfather, as I watch Jake begin to bloom as he came home to Christ, and I watched the fruit of the Spirit begin to weave into his life and transform uh, the way that he lived and his convictions, his life, one of the things that struck me most is that the nightmares stopped. The love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the presence of God was so real in his heart that he was no longer waking up in the middle of the night screaming with shrills. Now, many of you have heard the cliche the best time to plant an apple tree was 20 years ago but the second best time to plant one is today. Maybe you're like my stepdad. Maybe you've got a lot of years under you and you're believing the lie. Maybe it's too late for me and I want to lovingly contend for you it is not too late for you. Christ who bled and died for you took your sin on that cross turned him in faith and let him birth a brand new life in you isn't it true here in Western culture we have everything we need don't we we have nice homes air-conditioning cars vacations we have everything we need but the fact that you and I we have everything that we need in the world isn't it interesting that we are still unfulfilled in so many ways which does that not serve as literal evidence that only God can fulfill that void and he's willing turn to him turn to him and as we come to this table today to share in holy communion I hope you will not leave because you go hey it's two o'clock or excuse me one o'clock in Atlanta just don't don't leave don't leave but come to this table in faith and and celebrate and affirm the, the pierced body and the shed blood that atones for your sin and my sin, it's worth your time. And as we come, as you, after you've partaken of the elements, maybe some of us want to also kneel at an altar and say to the Lord, I confess you as Lord and Savior. And in confessing you as Lord and Savior, I also pray, fill me with this gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, do a work in me, in Jesus' name amen would you pray with me and so now god as we now shift to the sacraments that you've said do this in remembrance of me lord as we shift now meet with us oh god meet with us in this atmosphere meet with us individually
0: and we pray it in belief in jesus name amen